Hey friends, Ashton here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True and Beautiful. We are joined today uh, by a new friend, Dr. Gay Hedricks. You probably have crossed paths with him uh, and his work along with his wife over the years for four plus decades. They've been putting beautiful content into the world, uh, maybe uh, through a pathway of Oprah Winfrey. They've had numerous uh, appearances there. But all in all, I've recently crossed paths with his work uh, in this book called The Genius Zone. Uh, maybe Maybe The Big Leap is another book of his that you've read before. And uh, I just thought, man, this is a guy whose message in the world of living from your true self, operating out of your genius, being a contribution uh, to the world and those you've been entrusted, it's a voice that we need here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And so with that being said, uh, I believe joining us from California this morning is Dr. Gay Hendricks. Uh, Gay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Ashton. It's great to be with you. Yes, I'm here in Southern California, and I'm about to take off this morning to go up to Big Sur for a few days. Oh, and beautiful. And up to Pebble Beach for a few days. Man, well, you, you got it dialed in. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like everything is all right in your world. Um, so I gave that, that was, a, that was a bumpy bio on my part. Uh, I, I'd love to hear from you. When you introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? Well, thank you. Great question. Well, I sometimes begin with uh, where I am now and then contrast it from where I started. Uh, right now, I'm standing here and talking to you, and I'm 76 years old, and I weigh about 180 pounds, and I'm about six feet tall. Now, go back 50 years ago to when I was 24 years old. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I was 100 pounds overweight. I was stuck in a bad relationship and had a crummy job. And, you know, everything was, uh, you know, one cylinder was firing out of my V8 engine. And so things were really rocky. And then I had an amazing wake up moment when I was 24 years old where I kind of stumbled into a, an awareness of myself that I'd never had before. I, I suddenly became aware of all of my emotions inside, and I became aware of how much I was enclosed within my 100 pounds of extra fat and how I ate to bury my feelings. And I had a, this amazing wake-up on this one particular day. I've written about it in a couple of my books, so if anybody wants the details, they can go um, get the whole works. But just the, the one-minute version was I stumbled into this new awareness of myself as a spiritual being having a, a physical experience instead of a physical being having an occasional spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a whole different way of being with myself. And so that actually started my transformation because I began to apply the principles that I learned in that moment. And I used them to lose 100 pounds over the next year. And I used them to actually transform my vision too. So mm. up until then, I'd always had to wear glasses to pass my driving test. And after this wake up moment, things changed around in my vision, miraculously enough. I still don't know how it happened, but I was able to pass my driver's test then from then on without any um, corrective lenses. So that was a very practical thing. But um, the, the whole thing was that I discovered this inner world in myself. And at the center of that inner world in ourselves is this place I call your genius zone, which is a pure open space of consciousness that doesn't have any programming on it. Mm. And everybody gets it 
free from our creator. We, we just, uh, you don't have to do anything to earn it. In fact, what often happens in life as life gives you the various programming and dramas and things like that, that pure consciousness gradually gets obscured underneath a whole bunch of undealt with and undigested feelings and things inside in our inner world so we lose track of the fact that we are essentially this spirit walking around with a bunch of uh, meat attached to it rather than the other way around. (laughs) So the genius comes with the packaging, you're saying? Yes, it comes with the packaging and uh, it comes straight from the factory. We don't have to do anything to earn it, but you, there are some things you could do to invite it forth. Yeah. Uh, you see, uh, Ashton, when I got started, when I started thinking about this, all the things that's in the big leap and in the new book, The Genius Zone, um, I I realized I was only spending about 10% of my own time in my genius mm-hmm. zone. And so that goes back into the 1980s. So I set the intention ultimately of getting to 100% by the end of the century. And even though it took a lot of work to get there, by the end of the century, I was spending all my time doing what I most love to do. See, I define the genius zone as not only doing what you most love to do and what you're uniquely suited to do, but also it's what makes your biggest contribution to other people around you and to the world around you. That's the sweet spot of the genius zone, in my opinion. Beautiful, beautiful. So, well, let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Um, and uh, and thank you for giving me that that background. Uh, really, I, I think your your work has been uh, so helpful in waking people up, helping us break through, uh, letting us find our joy, and subsequently finding your genius, uh, which is that spacious. I love how you did you say unprogrammed place in us. Uh, I think you said yes, that. It- it's unprogrammed. Yeah. It uh, doesn't. Uh, you don't. You don't have to have any learning to mm. get it there in the mm-hmm. first place. And uh, it's it's free and natural, just like your breathing or just like your eyesight might be. It's another faculty that uh, once you open it up, has a tremendous amount of life changing possibilities. Because if you can get down to an unprogrammed state in yourself, that's the ideal place yes. to create something new. Yes. No labeling. No critique. No judgment. Um, right. Total curiosity. Um, I love it. Um, it's going to be beautiful. So talk to me about why you wrote this book, The Genius Zone. I know it was kind of a revised and expanded edition of The Joy of Genius. Um, but w- but when you were bringing The Genius Zone into the world, uh, why this book? Why now? Well, it's really the sequel to The Big Leap. Uh, the Big Leap came out in 2009, I think. So it's been out about 12 years. And it's an amazing book in a writer's career because it's very rare to have a book that comes out and it, you know, it sold well, it was a good bestseller in the beginning, but year after year, the sales increase and almost exactly opposite that what happens with a normal (laughs) book, you know, they usually come out of the shoot and sell quite a bit and then tail off for all eternity. And, uh, but this one has gone the other direction every year it sells more. So I really grateful to the word of mouth people who, who send it to other people and yeah. give it to other people because it's it's really a handbook for how to release your own potential. And so after the big leap came out, I continued to work and worked up kind of a workbook, The Joy of Genius, a smaller thing. And then I kept adding to the book uh, that's now The Genius Zone uh, 
And what it is really, it's if you think of the big leap, many people know that the big leap has a picture of a goldfish jumping into a big bowl on the cover. That's kind of its trademark. Well, if you think of the big leap as jumping into your genius zone, the new book, The Genius Zone, shows you how to live there all the time. It, it's um, I compare it to um, – well, here in my area, I live in a little mountain valley that's 11 miles from the ocean. And my wife and I have lived here for about uh, 20 years, Katie and I. And we um, we have a lot of beautiful hawks that soar up in the air around the valley riding the wind currents. And so almost any time, if you look up here, you can see hawks cruising around. And so sometimes I'll lay in my backyard and just kind of look up at them and watch them. And one thing that's phenomenal about them is – they ride these currents, and they, you can see them ride from one end of the valley to the other until they're just a tiny dot, and they're using almost no effort hmm. because they know how to make little tiny adjustments in themselves. And so the new book, The Genius Zone, is all about how to make a couple of key adjustments that allow you to ride along effortlessly, just like a hawk sustained by the wind currents in your genius. That's good. That's good. And and really, the, 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 the meat and potatoes of this book is kind of twofold. It's it's what you call the genius moment uh, and the genius move, and I, and I really want to spend the majority of our time there because I I, you know, what I gathered is um, you really have a key moment, well, numerous times a day uh, to to kind of gain that awareness and really ask some questions about that state of consciousness of where you're coming from. And from there, it's an easier flow into the genius zone. You know, you, you get on that current like the hawk. You don't have to force this. Um, so why don't we start in the genius moment? I think it's good if we begin there and kind of let our listeners kind of kind of take the journey through the book, if you will. Yes. Well, one thing I want to get across in the book, one of the two big main points in it is how to recognize these genius moments. And one thing I've learned over the past 10 years that since the big leap came out uh, in working with people is that we get genius moments all the time, every day, almost every day you're getting peppered with them, as a matter of fact. And if you learn how to recognize them, you can use them to open up directly to your genius. So the genius moment occurs in kind of an unusual way. It's not a bolt of lightning from the heavens or an exalted choir or anything else. A genius moment is often when you're feeling stuck or when you have some problem you can't figure out how to solve or when you're in the middle of something and you don't feel good, you you're, you feel off-center. That's a primo example of a genius moment, and here's why. Because take note, make a study, do an experiment over the next six months and ask yourself this. When you're stuck... It's always because there's something you're trying to control that you can't actually control and that there's no possibility of your controlling. And oftentimes what happens is we human beings get into get stuck in something in a relationship glitch or in a glitch at work or something where we get stuck and we don't and, and we're feeling off center and don't know how to operate in that situation. And so the troublesome thing we often do when we get stuck 
is to do more and more and more of what already isn't working. <laughs> Um, I've been, you know, I've seen situations. I remember once I was crossing the border from uh, Nepal into India, and um, there was a, a fellow um, at the uh, crossing who couldn't, who spoke a language that the crossing guard couldn't interpret, and uh, and the the fellow kept shouting at them louder and louder and louder, you know, he, he, like speaking louder was going to help the guy understand. So that's a good example of doing more of what's already isn't working. And if in that moment you can apply a new set of instructions to that, that is incredibly powerful because if you can say in that moment, what am I trying to control that I don't actually have any power to control? That question opens up space. Just asking that question allows you to begin to let go a little bit of what you've been trying to control. And let me clarify something, Ashton. One thing is that there are lots of things that we go around trying to control that we don't actually have any control over. One of them, for example, is whether somebody likes you. That's something that uh, you remember as a teenager, you know, desperately wanting some other (laughs) person to like you. And then the next week it was desperately wanting. Well, the problem is that we don't have any control over that because that the whether a person likes us occurs over there in their body, in their being. And there's no way you can actually control that. Now, here's the thing. People get caught up in trying to control something they don't have any control over, and then they miss what they could be doing this minute. You know, like instead of worrying about whether somebody likes you, you can just pick up the phone or send them an email and say, I wondered, could you be honest with me and tell me how you feel about me? That's an active step you can take in the moment. That doesn't have anything to do with control. Control is trying to sit around and, oh, what kind of, you know, kind of worrying about the other person and how they feel about you and that kind of thing. So the key thing, though, what I'm getting at here is that every situation where we get stuck, it's because we're trying to control something we can't control. And once you unfreeze that tendency in yourself and loosen that up, then you have an immediate entry into the genius zone because then you're free. You're in that open, free space. You can put in something new that's different, that works. And so that's the great value of learning how to spot these genius moments. And, you know, the book um, The book is really made up of transcripts of actual situations where I've worked with people in my office. So uh, there's nothing extraneous in it. And that's why I think that a lot of people are getting the audio book because they kind of like to listen to it and work through it as they're doing it. Uh, Somebody sent me a picture the other day of them reading uh, the book in a bikini on the beach. And uh, while I I got a good chuckle at it, I sat back, I say, okay, great to read on the beach, but take it home and work on it for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's that kind of book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that my moment of suffering, my moment of saying I'm trying to control what is out of my control is actually the doorway to accessing my genius, accessing the unprogrammed space of my consciousness, accessing uh, where I can actually be a gift and a contribution to the world. That, that was, that's, I mean, that's an idea I'm going to be unpacking for a long time. 
And, and I think the beautiful thing is you start in that genius moment and then you, you move us to the genius move, which is action. It, it, it's, it's saying, give me some agency here on what I can uh, have control over. You want to talk through like just the four or five steps of kind of noticing that you're unhappy, asking yourself what I'm out of control of, declaring that it's out of your control. Talk to me about this next step of the book in the genius move out of the genius moment? Yes, great question. Well, the big leap was about two big things, and the genius zone is about two big things. The big leap uh, was about how to get out from under your upper limit programs, what I call ALPS upper limit programs, which are the ways you sabotage yourself. And then the other point that was big in the big leap was how to get into your genius zone. The new book has this kind of slicker technology, I think you might say. It's just, I've worked on it now for 10 years to kind of polish up the technology. And so what happens in the genius moment is the moment you let go of controlling what you can't control anyway, you're in that prime, wide open, pure consciousness place. And that's the time to put in a new uh, manifestation item or what, mm. what you want to create. And one way to do that is to find out in yourself what you most love to do. One of the key moves that you make in, in getting into the genius zone on a permanent basis is to really get good at recognizing what you love to do and what brings you your greatest contributions in terms of satisfaction and in terms of things that uh, people use out in the world. And so what you do in the genius moment is you prepare for that kind of expansion into your genius. And then in the genius move, you expand on into owning and claiming that part of yourself that deeply, deeply wants to express your full potential. And in that moment, you have, even if it's only 10 seconds of connection, well, that's 10 seconds more of connection with your genius than you had mm -hmm. yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I also uh, wanted to emphasize today, uh, Ashton, that's in the new book, is about the power of commitment. Right. Because, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've found this in your work, that people don't you don't get something until you're committed to getting it. And once you're committed to getting it, then you're almost unstoppable in a way because you're in the game. You're off the bench and into the game. You've got some agency. You've got some action you can take. And one of the things that uh, human beings, I think, chronically avoid looking at in themselves is – what they're really, really good at, what they are really uniquely suited to do. Here's, a, I don't know if you found this, but have you noticed, I've certainly noticed this with just about everybody, that people are very, very willing to spend a lot of time in their minds criticizing themselves and finding fault with where they are compared to where they ought to be. So measuring themselves against an imaginary ideal and setting up this kind of rattle of negativity in our minds. Yeah. Whereas what we really need to be doing is, first of all, celebrating ourselves for where we are, you know, because every process of manifesting something new in your life 
is made better by coming from a place of gratitude and appreciation and celebration. How can you manifest something new in your life if you haven't given yourself appreciation for whatever you've created so far? That's good. Yeah. And so often our lack of gratitude holds us hostage Mm. and from expressing our genius. So one thing to really do is to open up and celebrate yourself for whatever you've created so far. And if you can't think of anything you've created, just celebrate yourself for uh, having won the big human race in the sense that 250,000 of your colleagues on the day you were conceived, they left to head for that egg, and you're the one that made it. So don't tell me you're not a winner. Out of 250,000, 400,000 racers, you got to the finish line first. And so that's a monster piece of good luck right there. Now, what are we going to do with that good luck? Well, how are we going to really release our full potential? That's the question that's always fascinated me. Yeah, yeah. And, and in, on that topic of commitment, um, a, as we are in the genius move, you wrote in the book, your mind can conceive of a magnificent positive future for you, but your heart is what will make it real. Talk to me about leaving the mind and moving into that heart chest space, not, not piecing all this together at the mind level, but really committing at the grounded, centered heart level. I, I think... I think a lot of times we're caught in illusion when we're in the mind, but but we move into the real when we're in the heart space. Your thoughts on that? Yes. Well, that is really a key question because I tell my students that the longest journey any human being ever makes is the 12-inch journey from your head down right. to your heart. Right. And once you get those two parts of yourself in alignment, That's where the big joys and satisfactions of life come from. And that's why I say that it's not just commitment, it's heartfelt commitment Mm -hmm. that actually does the job. Because you can say in your mind, oh, I'm committed to such and such and such, but it doesn't ever happen. You know, but once you get your heart connected up with your head, it's like – I've never been a big consumer of alcohol. I maybe half a beer on a, after playing golf, but I have a buddy that I play golf with all the time who um, has about 20 years of uh, sobriety now and is kind of a blackout uh, drinker for 20 years of his life and missed out on a lot of things because he was just out of it a good bit of the time. Uh, but he's made a big success of his life now. But he says the moment that actually changed his life was one of those moments of connecting up his head and his heart. Mm. Uh, Because he said a thousand times before he got sober, a boss or a wife or a friend had said to him, hey, you got a drinking problem. And he would always bounce it back, you know, in his mind by saying, okay, I can handle it. Don't worry about it. You know, I got it under control. And so he gradually... You know, that that wore out after a while, and he gradually got to a place in his life where things had to change. So he tells me this moment, though, where he stood up in front of this room and said, you know, my name's John, and I'm an alcoholic. Just lining up 
his head with what was actually going on in his body. <laughs> you wow. know, that was yeah. powerful. Instead of what most people do, which is we use our heads to talk ourselves out of what's going on in our bodies. Right. You know, you, you feel angry about something and then you say, oh, well, that's nothing to be angry about. Or you feel hurt about something and then you talk yourself out of it in your mind. But what we really ought to be doing is operating out of that alignment of heart, mind, and spirit. Because see, Actually, what allowed me to lose that 100 pounds was a spiritual tool, in a sense, because for for a year of my life back there in 19, what was it, 69, for a year of my life, when I was losing that 100 pounds, I used spirit as my guidepost in a way, because I would ask myself, literally, I would look at some food and I would say, okay, would this feed my spirit or would this feed my old programmed 100-pound mm. overweight body? And I got, got good at making um, – Yeah, you, you said know, you the, just started eating things that you never ate. I never ate before. <laughs> and it, yeah, things like fruits and vegetables. What a concept. <laughs> For me in the old days – uh, lunch was uh, hamburger, French fries, vanilla shake. You know, <laughs> that was basically it. And uh, those were the holy foods in my lexicon. Um, but after a while, I suddenly realized, wait a minute. I don't even like those things anymore. It's just like my body was addicted to them. You know, it took me three days to kick smoking cigarettes to to get rid of that habit but it took me ages to get rid of uh, addiction to sugar you know i have these i think i talk about in the book this um, moment where i'd lost 35 pounds and then i passed an ice cream store and i saw this ice cream sundae in their family of four was eating it so i i ran in there and i said i want one and the lady looked over my shoulder like where's the rest of your party sir you know i said no i just want one of those myself and uh, but for about 20 minutes, I was high as a kite after I ate it. But then for the next three days, I was bending over cramps and everything because it was just such a whack. I was a classic upper limit problem. You know, I was feeling so good after losing this 30 pounds or so. And then I had to dump in all this stuff on top of it. But live and learn. You know, I never made that mistake again. I, uh, I realized for what it was. Then I said, OK, I'm trying to sabotage myself. Yeah. And once you realize how the upper limit problem works, it makes life a lot simpler. Yeah. Yeah. So h- hold my hand on on this question here, and, and, and because I think it's it's pivotal for our listeners to understand. I, I think your definition of genius isn't so much Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, you know, Steve Jobs, Pablo Picasso. Uh, maybe that is one form of genius, but this is really an invitation uh, uh, to have mind, heart, spirit, alignment, openness, spaciousness, uh, an abundance of creativity. You're really flipping the script, I think, on exactly what we're talking about when we talk about accessing, finding, and contributing your genius in the world. Yes, and it's finding the essence of Ashton Gustafson, not finding the Albert Einstein in Ashton Gustafson. You know, down inside you, you have your own version of Albert Einstein, and it may look totally different. I can't picture Albert as a podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, maybe, who knows? Nowadays, everybody's into it. Uh, But uh, the uh, 
the thing is that we need to go on a big search inside ourselves for what our own unique abilities are. And I, and sometimes they're not what you think they are. Hmm. You know, you might think that you're a genius insurance salesman, but that's not what makes you, it's not insurance that makes you your genius. It's something underneath that that you could apply to other things. Like for me, for example, part of my genius is I have an ability to explain really complicated things in a really simple, practical way. And I, I, it's a gift. I have always been able to, even when I was a kid, I could kind of look at a situation and see what needed to be fixed in order to make it work, you know, especially in relationship kinds of things. And um, so it made me, um, you know, good training grounds for a therapist. But it, it, it doesn't matter what your particular genius is. You can apply it to different things. Like I can take that ability to explain complicated things in a simple way and I can have a conversation with you about them or I can write a book about them or I can do any number of things with that particular genius. So once you understand and get a feel for what your genius really is, it's transferable to all sorts of different areas of life. You know, like I watch my wife, she can write a book, you know, she can get up from writing a book and go into the kitchen, and she's a master chef, too, and make us a, a lunch. Uh, she almost always makes us uh, lunch. Um, she likes to cook one meal a day, but she doesn't like mm-hmm. to make a whole bunch of them. And so uh, we, uh, she likes to make lunch, and then I'm on my own for uh, breakfast. And if I want to have a snack in the evening, we don't usually eat any dinner or anything, but I like to have a snack around 6 o'clock. Um, but anyway, uh, what I'm point I'm making is she can move from one thing to the other effortlessly because the same thing that allows her to write a book is the same thing that allows her to make a fantastic Caesar salad or a or a soup because she is very attentive to she really knows how to pay attention and she can tune in in a way that's just astonishing and of course it it's to her great advantage as a therapist and a healer and a seminar leader and that kind of thing. But where I notice it particularly, I often like to sit in the kitchen and talk to her while she's making lunch. And the way she pays exquisite attention to the different details of this is is almost inconceivable to me because I'm not, I can boil an egg, but that's about the limit of my uh, culinary strategies. Um, but um, so I, I guess the point I'm making here is that for for everybody, our genius is going to be a little bit different. And once you find it, though, it's a treasure that you can use in all sorts of different situations. Yeah, yeah. And you and I think in the book you kind of make this uh, uh, description of the difference between uh, like ordinary creativity and your true yes. creativity, and then how. And I love this phrase: the courtship with our creativity that there's there's a bit of romance right there there's a, there's a bit of relationality with getting to know that spacious unprogrammed place uh that's within all of us um j- just to kind of wrap up here in this genius conversation help me understand the difference cuz maybe that'll help some of our listeners the difference between ordinary creativity and tree- true creativity and maybe that is riffing a bit on the example you just gave of your wife Yes, ordinary creativity, though, is when you're using your creativity for somebody else. In other words, you're you're serving somebody else's purpose. You're using your creativity like one of my 
uh, writer colleagues um, now passed away, Elmore Leonard. He's a great mystery writer, wrote 20 different mysteries, great mysteries. Before that, he was working for an ad agency writing Chevrolet ads. Hmm. So he was using his genius for somebody else to sell Chevys. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but down inside, he was a mystery novelist. And so he wrote a mystery story and then he wrote more. And then pretty soon he got one adopted for the movies. And, you know, then he had this huge career that he would have probably never had that kind of, you know, they would have never elected him world's greatest Chevy copywriter. <laughs> right. uh, but he went on to this uh, monster career. And so I, I think um, down inside, you know, you may have a genius at making a soup or a genius at writing a symphony or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what the thing itself. Um, one of the characteristics, though, of genius is that it's what you most love to do. And also, I would add another thing that you could really tell when you're operating in your true creativity. Your true creativity is when you're serving yourself and your own life goals, not somebody else's life goals. Like if you're serving the Chevy dealer's goals, that's great, but then you're probably going to go home feeling dissatisfied because you're not ex you're not writing your mystery novel or you're not writing your poem. So what we have to do is begin to wean ourselves off of ordinary creativity and put more attention into true creativity by asking ourselves, what is it uniquely that I want to express in the world? See, I think everybody needs a clearly stated, heartfelt life purpose. Mm -hmm. Like the one I give, mine that I use uh, that's in the big leap, is uh, I expand in love, creativity, and abundance as I inspire other people to do the same. For me, life is at its best if I'm engaged in inspiring other people to have more love in their lives and more positive energy, more success, more abundance, and I'm doing it at the same time. So we're all in this together. And if I can feel every day like I'm expressing my genius while I'm making a contribution to you being able to express yours, that's to me life at its best. Beautiful. Well said. Um, <clears throat> before we wrap up here, I always ask um, guests uh, like yourself just a couple quick questions. One of them is at, at 76, what's still keeping you curious? Every moment of my life, uh, <laughs> my life is really dedicated to wonder and curiosity. And, That's good. Oh, gosh. I, uh, I wake up in the morning. Uh, I sleep from uh, 10 to 4. That's my pattern. And so I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Just I, I can't wait to get about what I'm up to because, well, my, my particular day um, – my wife likes to sleep in until 7.30 or so, um, and I like to wake up early. So for the first two or three hours of the day is my writing time. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I get up at around 4, and then uh, I meditate always. I haven't missed a day in almost 50 years now. And so that prepares me and gets me in a clear state of mind. And then I write from about 5 to about 7.30 when my wife gets up, and then I like to make her coffee and things like that. And the rest of the day, then I do other stuff, like what I'm doing right now. Um, but uh, the main thing for me is to begin my day 
in that state of pure consciousness by a period of meditation and then to get busy expressing my particular genius. It may be um, a a self-help book. It may be a creativity book. It uh, also, in recent years, I started writing mystery novels when I was 65, and I've uh, since published nine mystery novels. So I've been a a busy beaver here writing nonfiction (laughs) and fiction for the past 10 years. So fun. So fun. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for those rituals. Um, Last question. Uh, What advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> Lose a hundred pounds. <laughs> Lose a hundred pounds. Uh, oh, I would give. Oh, yeah, I would give some advice about. I, I would quote that great Walt Whitman line: "I am large and contain multitudes." Mm. I would say to my young self, you are large and contain multitudes. You have a whole world of feelings inside you. Things you get scared about, things you feel angry about, things you feel sad about. And you need to pay attention and, and be aware of those and learn how to communicate about what's inside you. Uh, that, that, I, I think that would be a great message for my younger self to hear because I was so enclosed in myself, mm-hmm. you know, like it would have never occurred to me when mm-hmm. I was 20 or 22 years old to talk about my feelings with somebody. Ew, you know, that just seemed like the stupidest thing in the world because I'd grown up, grown up in the macho John Wayne 50s and, uh, you know, you're supposed to be the strong, silent type and endure piles and trials of suffering without making a squeak. And uh, that was the ethos of the time. But fortunately, I woke up and uh, uh, my wife and I, by the way, are about to have our 40th wedding anniversary. I should let you know about that. So it's actually possible to uh, start out being a uh, 300 pound, two two, two pack a day Marlboro smoker and end up in a great marriage for 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We not eat dinner and get up at 4 a.m. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. Um, absolutely love it. Well, uh, for our listeners, if, if that, uh, Whitman quote just resonated with you, you know, you are large and contain multitudes. Um, if there's something stirring within you and the words of abundance, expansion, uh, expression, openness, uh, the, the alignment of spirit, mind, and body, if, if those words are resonating with you, I encourage you, uh, go pick up any of uh, Dr. Hendrick's works. I think that they will uh, be beautiful doorways into new worlds for you. Um, and let me just say, Dr. Hendricks, super grateful for your time and generosity. I know you're a busy guy, um, but we are super grateful for your time and energy today uh, and your contribution to the world. It's waking us up, and uh, I'm sure it's going to keep doing it for a long, long time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Ashton. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. For our listeners, if they want to follow you and your work, where would you invite them to go? The main place would be Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. You can also, um, if you haven't got the new book yet, the Genius Zone book, go to GeniusZoneBook.com to get it because there you can download a 15-minute guided meditation, which amplifies some of the points in the book. And so if you go to GeniusZoneBook.com, there's a procedure there where you, you know, put in your receipt and you'll get that uh, download. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Uh, you've got an open spot here anytime you want to come and share some of your wisdom with us. And again, super grateful for you sharing some time with us today. All right. Thanks a lot, Ashton. You bet. 